All right, 12.30 on the dot, let's go. So today we're talking about writing your CV and we know that there are lots of different types of CVs out there or um, I think the better word to use would be resume than CV and I'll get into that shortly. Uh, we are recording, you would have got a message as you logged on that we are recording. That's going to be used on my YouTube channel and on my podcast. So just bear that in mind. Participation will increase the value that you and I and others get out of this. So I'm keen that you leave your video on and your microphone open. Obviously, those two things can make for distractions for others. So if your audio or video might be distracting, uh, maybe it is the opportune time to turn it off uh, if you're not participating. Uh, I'm going to try and have some time where we look at some people's CVs and resumes. I haven't pre-prepared this. So if you have a CV or resume that you would like looked at, make sure that it's ready to go. Be prepared to talk, be prepared to be seen on screen and also be prepared that your content will be shared on the World Wide Web via my YouTube channel. If you can't do all of those things, then I ask that you don't um, put your hand up to have your resume or CV looked at. Um, I guess the way that I like to start these things is with a little whatever, some stuff that might help you remember. Um, and so I guess you could have some several plans as an academic, the plan that you might tell your supervisor or your advisor, the real plan, which is sometimes considered career alternatives, although now the career alternative seems to be the academic life. And then the secret plan, become a baker, a rock star or writer. But no matter what your plan is, you'll need to maintain a CV and you'll need to probably have a resume and even someone like myself that is self-employed that doesn't apply for jobs that you might think of as needing a resume. Uh, and those things, uh, those things <laughs> sounds like Woody's trying to get in there somewhere. Um, just those, all of these things will require you to create a CV or a resume. And I was asked as part of an application. I'm just going to mute everyone given we're struggling with it. They actually, they have like trained animals. Sorry about that. Okay, so if you want to get in touch with me before or after, uh, or you can't get in touch with me before, during or after the session, you can get in touch with me by social media. If you're already considering with me on LinkedIn, uh, join other places as well, such as Twitter or Instagram. But if you're not connected with me on LinkedIn, that's where I like to connect with people um, most often. Like I said, we're on air. Uh, I'll talk quickly. I apologize for that. Uh, if I am talking too fast, open up your mic and tell me to slow down and I will do that for you. Um, there is a lot to cover. And so I'll provide some resources and opportunities to get in touch with me later on uh, if that's something that you might want to do, given if we don't cover something that you want covered. I started out my journey as a PhD student at uh, Monash University. Uh, and then I exchanged my lab coat for a suit coat and now I help researchers to answer the question, what's next? I'd love to know a little bit about you all. Um, so I've got a bit of a poll um, that I'd like you to respond to. So I just want you to know a bit about what your background is.
Beautiful. Okay, so we've got... Uh... Mine won't accept my entry, uh, Eric. Oh, that's okay. You can tell us all where you where do you fit, Don? On humanities, art, social science. Okay, great. So you can see the majority of people on here are in um, STEM. The some are in has and some are in other or don't fit here. Uh, cool. Thank you for that. So one of the th one of the reasons why I wanted to know that is um, a little bit about you and what kind of things might be useful for you in terms of what people wanted to use their CV for. This is, you would have all filled in a survey to start with. This is the results of that survey. So you can see the majority want to use their CV in an academic setting, then the next in a um, industry setting, then grants other and someone actually wrote not applicable to them. So um, lots of different ways that people want to use their resume. And obviously the most common response was actually to use it for academia and industry job applications. So we'll try and cover off that stuff today. Um, the, in anything that you do, I think my biggest thing is to be empathetic to whatever the end user or the end product might be. So in the case of CVs and resumes, the best thing that you can do to make your resume or CV better is to think about who the end user is and how they're going to use it. So if you are submitting a 10 page resume to a job application, that might be awesome from your perspective. That might fully encompass all of the things that you've done and all the things that are relevant for you for that role. But if you put yourself in the shoes of the assessor or the person's um, looking at the resumes or the recruiting manager, looking at one, two or 300 resumes that are 10 pages long, uh, would not be fun. And I know that there are people out there who essentially almost immediately reject resumes that are too long. There is no specific requirement over size. Like people don't generally say in the job application process, submit a resume of X length or no more than X length. So it's not like a grant in that respect, but you can expect that you wouldn't submit a resume to a job application of longer than two pages. The only exception to this might be in an academic setting where for whatever reason, they're keen on seeing large resumes. But even now I feel like that's changing. And again, if you put yourself in the role of the person assessing your application, a shorter resume would be what they would be um, interested in to start with. And then they might ask for more information as we go. So, um, the best advice that anyone or that I can give you around creating your resume or CV is to have empathy. Think about the person and the job that you're applying for when you're building your uh, resume. So I asked you before about where you're from. This is um, where people who graduate humanities end up and you can see they end up in all sorts of different um, areas. Um, management and professional covers a big area there. You can see um, humanities majors end up in sciences as well, not just in humanities. Uh, and this is another piece of research from the US, but I think it is applicable here where you look at what's on the left-hand side is um, the language and oh, sorry, the, the discipline that the person has studied and on the right hand side, the job that they occupy. So you can see that um, the different, different roles don't necessarily, different types of study don't land you in a similar role. So I, in some respects, what I want to get, get you to understand in this is that your discipline um, is somewhat agnostic to the role that you could ultimately occupy. So don't think of yourself being pigeonholed into a particular sector or area because of what you might've studied. Um, and then this was um, 
the the actual data from this only a third of college graduates work in a field related to their major so that just reinforces that point that the majority of people end up working in a field not related to their final graduating major which is good news i think it means that you've got a lot of options so um so far i've used the word cv and resume interchangeably but i think that they are two different things so a CV stands for curriculum vitae, and essentially that means my life story, um, whereas a resume tends to be limited, and there should be accents on the E's there as well. Too. Um, so what I, um, what I encourage people that I work with to do is to, first of all, build their CV. So this is everything that they have done. Um, and it, it's a document aimed at you and set out for you so you can refer to it easily later. So this document would be built in any way or any style that you see fit. Whereas the resume is about um, the person that you're giving this to. It's about their use of your information, of your experience. So for example, if you're a, a PhD student currently in say one of the last year of study, um, and you're looking to find a role outside academia and you might have had some experience, let's say working at a, a casually working at a department store, you might that actually that experience might actually be important to an industry employer because it shows that you know how to deal with customers or clients. It shows that you might know how to deal with money and making sales. It shows that you could potentially deal with um, uh, difficult situations. It shows that you can show up to a workplace on time and finish on time and get work done in a way that they understand. Whereas all of your tutoring experience might be less valuable to them. That that doesn't necessarily show to them that it is um, that you can be a good worker for them in industry. Conversely, if you're going for an academic role, the uh, department store experience might be less relevant, but tutoring might be um, very relevant. It shows that you can teach other people. It shows that you could potentially build a course. It shows that you can mark essays. It shows that you can potentially submit um, corrected work back to students on time. So the resume is definitely a bespoke document, a document that is created for each individual job or role that you're applying for. There isn't, like, you won't have two, two resumes, if that makes sense. You won't have an industry resume and an a academic resume. You'll have a resume for job A, a resume for job B, a resume for job C. Um, and all of the information in the job ad or what the person might tell you is what's important to put into your resume in that case. So if you haven't got anything as yet, if you don't have anything that you would call your resume or your CV, the starting point is definitely your CV. In terms of what does a resume look like, here are some examples that I pulled off the web um, and the numbers and letters all correspond to sections that are kind of common across um, two out of the three, or in some cases, all three. So you can see obviously um, name is important uh, you can see contact details are important, then most have key skills, which is number three in this instance. Most have work experience, which is number four. Most have some kind of description of their work experience. Different people have put or different examples have put education differently. So in academia, we can often fall into the trap that thinking education is the most important thing because we have spent so long in education that we think it's front and center. 
but my experience of these things is that um, experience is actually going to be more important than education. So even if even your PhD, if you can write that up as some kind of work experience rather than just a line in education, it'll come across as being more powerful, more relevant to a potential employer than just listing it as your PhD uh, in your education section. That doesn't mean, yep. Go ahead. Right, cool. Um, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have education on your resume. It just means you need to consider the amount of space that it takes up when you're applying for a role. Um, and then if you've been in academia for a long time, then your education, or if you've been in any role for a while, or if you've been in working for a while, I should say, your qualifications are going to be less and less relevant. It's going to be more and more about your experience. Are there any questions on that? Yeah, go. Don? Uh, Richard, should they, in education, for example, I, does it, is it be best to begin at the beginning and run to current time or go backwards? Uh, current time going backwards. And I would, there are some things that would not be on there without wanting to be ageist. I think when you completed your equivalent of high school, rotten, done, probably doesn't matter, <laughs> but maybe your PhD that you're currently undertaking is the most valuable piece that goes in there. Okay, working backwards. Thank you. Yeah. Any other questions on that? You can just open your mic. I can't see everyone. So if you want to ask a question, just open your mic and ask away. Uh, this is an example of what I would call a, a CV. I, generally speaking, I wouldn't put a picture in a resume or a CV, but um, obviously this is for your own purposes. So maybe this reminds you that it's you or of a good time and place that you lived in. Um, you can put your address in there if you wanted to, just so it makes it easy to cut and paste into a resume. You can see this person's got all of their education in that um, most recent to least recent, uh, most past, then all their other education in there, then their employment. I would put more detail than is in here for employment for a CV. So I would generally speaking, want to think about every single role that you have uh, as having uh, responsibilities or duties and achievements. Um, so if you think about, if I use a PhD as an example in this employment section, and like I said, I think it can easily be described. Certainly if you want to rename this from employment to experience, um, then you put your PhD in there and put the duration. So, you know, 2018 through to 2021 or something like that, or 2015 through to 2020. Um, so the responsibilities or duties would be to design experiments, conduct experiments, collect data, report on data. And then the achievements might be, um, I got a scholarship to conduct my PhD worth X number of dollars. I got a travel award. I got a presentation award, presented my data to uh, general audiences as well as specific audiences. I completed my PhD. Uh, I got a journal publication or three. I wrote a grant or three. Those are the kinds of things that might go in under um, achievements um, in that example. So someone's just written into the chat. Yeah, so the main difference between an industry resume and an academic resume would be how you present your experience. And it's going to, again, it's going to come down to the job. So academia are going to be interested in things like publications, grants, and students supervised or taught. 
industry, depending on the role, probably won't care too much about those things. And those things probably say more about your ability to conduct projects to completion than they do about your competitiveness as a researcher. So you might, in an academic resume, you might pick out three recording and slides. Yep. So slides um, will all be part of the recording. It'll all be up on YouTube. So an academic resume, you might pick out three grants or three publications that you think are your best three. You'd put those in and you might even say why they, that particular publication or grant was pulled out. And then you'll put, you know, that my full list is available on Google Scholar or my full list is available on um, some other uh, public repository or it's available upon request. That's perfectly acceptable to do those kinds of things. Mm. That's good. Um, so then you can see for this person here, they've got all of this other stuff laid out. And one of the reasons why keeping this curriculum vitae or keeping this long list of stuff that you've done for yourself, it means that when someone asks you, so if you think about that difference between academic and industrial um, jobs, then some of these things may be differently important for different um, parts of the role. So there might be a grant that you won that was an industry focused grant that saw you partner with industry four or five years ago that you generally don't talk about in your academic context, but now makes perfect sense to talk about when you're going for an industry role. So that might be something that you pull out in your resume for an industry role. Um, then you can see they've got studentship, scholarships and awards, scientific publications, etc. So you never delete anything off your CV. You just keep adding to it and add to it essentially at the top of the document. So whatever the right section is, the most recent stuff is at the top of that starting section. Uh, I like doing things like this. You can see the publications, etc., etc., in numbered lists, and you can um, you can see here. Uh, this is the numbers don't re the numbers restart at one. I would generally speaking number them all uniquely, um, and that means you can easily do a quick count of all of your publications uh, from this document. And, and some summaries like that are potentially useful at times, you know, they show that you're able again to follow things to conclusion. Yeah, so when someone, someone asks for a CV, they generally would mean a resume. In Australia, they're used interchangeably um, and generally they mean a resume, a short document. No, I don't have an example of one where you've got a CV and then the corresponding one written for academic and industry. But I'm happy to work with people or with you, Jen, on, on that, if that's what you're after. And like I said, you'll pull out stuff that is relevant for the individual role. So if you have a look at this person here, presentation at, present, at um, professional conferences, it, there's a lot in here. So you might pull out one, like let's say you're going for an industry role related to um, I don't know, diabetes. And the last time you presented at a diabetes conference was five years ago. That might be front and center in your industry resume because the, that role that you're going for. Whereas if your project relates to say cancer and to diabetes, which was the case for myself, then you might present, have presented at a cancer conference more recently. And thus you might put that front and center in your industry resume because that's what that industry um, entity is interested in. Um, so you've got these things as well, invited seminars. Again, I would, um, I would 
put number these just so you can count how many there are. Again, in a resume, you might just put, I've given over 10, 15, 20 invited presentations. Uh, and then you can say, if you want the full list, it's available upon request. And then giving them the full list is really easy. It's a copy and paste from this document. Um, Teaching experience, you can put that in there as well. Obviously stuff that you might do with students. Uh, general tutoring is quite common for early um, career researchers and for PhD students. The courses that you've taught, the different projects that you might've completed, um, that's really useful to talk about project management. Um, so in research, we do a lot of project management, but we don't tend to learn project management as a skill, if that makes sense. So talking about projects is not a bad way of demonstrating that you do know about um, those kinds of things. And obviously other languages, et cetera, show some diversity as well that might be of value. Um, And you, uh, if you want to put referees into your CV, you can. Again, it just makes finding the information quick and easy. Um, can I ask about dates used and how specific you should be? Yeah, so I think so. I think you should be as specific as you can be in your CV and in your resume. You want to try to do the same thing. I, I acknowledge that putting dates and years can give. Um, people an indication of your age and that gives an opportunity for potential reviewers of your resume to be ageist. Uh, and so you might want to avoid some of those things. So if we go back to the education idea, you might not put any years. You might just put that you've got your high school certificate, you've got a university degree and you've got a PhD and don't put any years on those things. And then your work experience, depending on what's relevant and what's related might only include, um, you know, five or six examples of something that you did recently. Um, for seminars, surely collecting information is the conference international. Who was your audience? How big the audience were? were you? Yeah, and other suggestions. Yes, yeah, collect all of that, definitely. Definitely keep all of that information as well. So the, if you can collect that relating like to your publications, if you want to update stuff like how many times it's been cited, how many times it's been downloaded, you know, if it's been mentioned in something specific, you can collect all of that kind of stuff as well in your um, CV. Going back to your uh, referees, like I said, you might want to keep this here for um, any other information suggestion we should collect. Um, so grants, the, the dollar values, whether it was peer reviewed or not, how competitive it was, the success rate in general, not just not for you, but you know, how successful people are. So if you know, if one in 100 grants were funded, then if you were that one, that's a useful thing to collect. Um, should I list referees or just say, yeah. So in your resume, definitely I would re recommend referees available upon request. If, but in your CV, you might have this list so you can easily cut and paste them. Um, make sure you ask all of your referees whether they're happy to be a referee for you before you put them on. Um, if it gets painful because you're going for lots and lots of roles, you might let them know that that's what you're doing. You're going for lots. But if you put available upon request, what that allows you to do as the applicant is maintain some control over the situation. So let's say you're applying for a role that needs to demonstrate um, your ability can, to conduct a certain scientific technique. If the recruiting manager or the hiring manager or 
and the interviewer asks you, do you have experience of, um, can you provide me your um, list of referees? You can ask them what they're looking for. And if they say, oh, we really want to know a bit more about that technique, or we really want to know about your ability to can do these kinds of experiments, then your referee can relate to that rather than being the department store referee. If they want to know about your ability to interact with customers and clients, then maybe your PhD supervisor isn't the best referee to put down. Maybe it is the manager that you had at the department store because they'll talk about your, your manner with, um, with essentially with strangers. Um, the other thing, it is perfectly acceptable not to tell your supervisor that you're going for a job. It's perfectly acceptable to not have your supervisor as a referee. Most people, once they're in roles, most people outside academia don't put their supervisor on as a referee when they're going for a role. And lots of people will shift jobs without their current manager knowing, and that's okay. That is quite common. So don't feel bad that you can't include your supervisor as a uh, referee or that you're not. Are there any more questions on that? Coolio. So what do I think should be, um, generally speaking in a resume? So um, like I reckon it should be two pages. It just it generally speaking, you can cover everything you need to without having too little information or too much in two. Um, so on both pages, you should have your name and your contact details. Um, if people don't print the thing on two pages, like on one page, double-sided, then having your name and contact detail on both pages makes it easy. If the pages get separated, they know who they're looking at or looking for. Um, you might have your employment history. It might go over two pages. You might put in your career goals if you think that's important to the role that you're currently going for. Um, and that might be useful if you're talking about perhaps what might, what others might consider a career change or a sector change. That might be a useful way of explaining why you did a PhD in biochemistry, but now you're applying for a role as a, um, I don't know, a bricklayer um, or a labourer on a work site. Um, your qualifications, like I said, they'll be in there. Um, the, and again, ones that are relevant to the role that you're going for, the key skills that you have, you can put a list of key skills. Um, the publication grants and awards, lots of academics, no matter how often I say they're not really needed for industry jobs, people want to put them on. So you can, if you want to have these as a section, go for it, put it in, but just be mindful that it'll take up more room. And again, the idea of I've received X number of publications or X number of grants or X number of awards valued at worth more than showing impact of like a summary is probably much better than a long list of everything that you've got. And again, this idea of available upon request, um, definitely put a section that says referees and then put available upon request. Don't leave a blank in terms of making this specific to the role you might go for. So my advice is, so most jobs are filled through informal means. So that means you've generally know the person who is going to hire you. Um, so then you know, know what it is that they're looking for, know the key words that relate to the role and write those down. Or if it's a job ad, highlight the keywords in the job ad, highlight the keywords in the position description, and then go through your resume and check whether those keywords appear in your resume. If they don't appear in your resume, then you need to work out why. Is that because you actually lack 
that skill or you don't want to talk about it in that way and therefore could you change the words in your resume and one of the reasons why you potentially have key skills listed out is because increasingly organizations when they're screening large number of applicants for jobs are using bots and so the bots only look for keywords and if your resume doesn't have those keywords then you could get looked over um, or you could you know, not get shortlisted, not because you don't have the skills or experience, but because the keywords that they were looking for weren't in your resume. Are there any questions? Hi Richard, I have a question about yeah. the key skills um, section. Mm -hmm. Yep. So um, I guess personally, I would find it a bit awkward to just list them in isolation without justification or examples. I understand <laughs> yeah. the importance of putting it down for the purposes of if applications were um, screened by bots, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So would a solution to that be to put the key skills in in isolation, but have a section in your CV to be able to illustrate why those are your key skills? Yes. If that's what you'd like to do, definitely. So you could, in your CV, you might, in under under the experience under the education section you might have a bit more information in your resume so if we make a distinction now between the full document versus the shorter one your key skills might be stuff like they might say they want like the common is um you know experience using matlab happens often in neuroscience or experience coding so your key skills might be examples of you know coding languages you know or um, the, or let's say you're certified in a certain project management methodology, that might be what potentially goes in under the key skill. <laughs> what font size? Someone has asked me. Um, <laughs> don't, it's not a grant, okay? So this is one of the things that academics want to do is think about this as a grant and go, oh, you know, Times New Roman 10 and, you know, half a centimetre around all the edges. This is an ad for you. So if you would, if you got a person to create an ad for you, would you want them to cram in all text everywhere? Or would you want it to be an aesthetically pleasing document? Because this ultimately is going to be how people look at and refer to you um, in this, in your absence, essentially. So if we go, um, I'm just going to stop sharing for a moment and skip back to those examples uh, of um, resumes that I grabbed off the internet. <clears throat> um, and you can see here, like in to my eyes, these are all aesthetically pleasing. They haven't tried to cram a whole bunch of stuff in there, but they are covering a lot. And obviously there's a second page here. A two column layout can help. Dot points can help. You don't need to have full sentences. So I don't know if that, if I answered your question well, Lee June or not, but um, maybe you can, respondents let me know whether you have whether I have answered the question um yeah I, th I think so I think it's good if it's very specific skills like yeah. in terms of um but what I noted was things like um ability to es rapidly establish rapport with clients and employees like that's a bit more of a general or vague thing that I feel needs justification yes but yeah, so you might put that in less words as a key skill and then in your work experience under um, under not necessarily responsibilities in a job or in an education but in, or in your PhD, but in the um, achievements, 
Um, you might say established a brand new collaboration of 20 scientists in, and got the result in six months. And that is, you know, that to me demonstrates what you said about rapport and collaboration. Great. Thank you. And so back to the font size thing again, I, I wouldn't, it needs to be readable. It needs to be legible. Um, so, you know, I don't want to tell you don't make it smaller than, but cause you'll, then you'll make it, all eight point or all 10 point or all 12 point, but definitely um, it needs to be a pretty document. Okay. What are some good um, apps? Um, there's a, if you just Google, there's a whole bunch that'll help you create something for free. I, I like using um, Microsoft word. It doesn't do a bad job of automatically setting it out with templates. PowerPoint is really good for setting it out because this is a document that you're going to send as a PowerPoint slide, it's going to end up being as a PDF. So you can change the page size of your PowerPoint to match um, A4 size, and then you can export it to PDF and away you go. The main thing to make sure when you do anything like that is to ensure that your um, PDF can be searched. So remember I mentioned before about the bots, if your PDF goes into the bot and is not optical, um, optimized for optical character recognition, then the bot will actually view it as a blank document and you will get no, no keywords found, even if they are there. So that's the main thing that you need to make sure that that's how you can um, do it. So all of, all of, sorry, all of the examples that I was showing before. All of these examples I could create in word or in PowerPoint. Um, if you think that that might be too hard for you, um, there's some examples on the internet that if you just Google, um, CV creator or resume creator, they'll help you put them into something that looks nice. And all of these ideas, so the idea of splitting out your current, like, so making a long list that is your CV, you can put some of that onto your LinkedIn profile. Um, the idea of separating out your current or your job activity um, into responsibilities or achieve and achievements, you can use um, that information on LinkedIn as well. So this information isn't just limited to um, what you might put on a um, on a resume as an application for a for a job. Um, I mentioned at the start the idea of uh, empathy and thinking about what people might use your resume for. So um, these are some of the some four different uses that I thought for uh, resumes or CV resumes. So in an academic setting, you might use your resume to to attract collaborators. So in that case, you might actually talk about. Um, your resume it might end actually be a piece of information that is online on a website and it might not look like a resume that we're, we've been talking about, but it might be, say, a descriptive piece of text on your own webpage or on your university's webpage. Um, and it might actually ask people for something like I need help with or I'm looking for or I'm seeking people who want my skills. Um, the resume might also be about positioning and we do that a lot in academia. You know, we position, we're, we're trying to sell ourselves all the time. We just don't like using those words, but we're writing grants all the time. We're writing publications all the time. We're forever presenting in front of audiences. And so you might want to present a very, very brief version 
excuse me, of your CV to an audience. Like if you remember how I started this presentation, I gave you a bit of my history and that might, in, if you did the same kind of thing, that might more be more likely to endear you to your audience and encourage them to engage with you. Um, and so if you think about, you know, if you're going to, if you're putting your resume into a funding application, you'll need to show that you're experienced in most cases and experience doesn't necessarily mean track record. It might just mean you can trust me. Um, and that you're skilled enough to do the work that you're saying you'll do in the application. Are there any questions on these types of uses? Well, is anyone, I don't, I've got a few other things that I was going to cover, but I think it'd be better if I opened it up to questions and review. Does anyone have any questions or review that they want covered off? Richard, yep. Um, it may be of interest to some others. I know that's my my reason for watching viewing uh, today is not particularly for job application, mm -hmm. but rather for use in an appendix for my current PhD thesis. Because and the, my intention would be there uh, to justify or to give some indication instead of in the text, I'm using an analytic narrative mm -hmm. as the presentation of my data. And instead of saying I was part of that committee, then you can be a little bit uh, more um, impersonal and refer to the committee. And later on, if it's in the appendix, it actually indicates that you were part a participant and a key player in that role. Yeah. So in other words, it's, it's just, identifying your particular activity in relation to what you've presented in the body of the thesis. So it's really a CV, but a selective CV or resume. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's okay to put again, I would be looking at it as a, it would end up, maybe it's more of it, my history and or history relating to the work that I've described in my thesis. It, I think it sounds okay to put in as an appendix. Yeah. Okay. Good. Thanks. And then in the body of the text, you would at some point, or maybe in the methodology and the presentation, you would actually make it clear that your intention was uh, to make reference to mm -hmm. activities in the appendix to draw attention to the, the intention yeah. of the appendix. Yeah. I mean, my, my thinking in terms of appendices versus tables and figures is that appendices are things that people couldn't look at if they want to, but if they don't look at it, won't make a difference to how they interpret or view mm. the data that you've presented or discussed. So you would think it'd be better in a, better not called an appendix? No, I think, I think it would be fine. Like, I think if you said to me, I was on committee X and here's what I did, mm. I would trust that that was the truth. And the proof of that might be your CV or your resume or some kind of yeah. membership form or email or whatever it is. And that would go in an appendix. Like here's proof that I was part of it. I'm not making it up. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Good. Thank you. Did anyone want to have their, well, want to share their resume or CV for me to look at or go through? Or is that too daunting? Cool, no one, no problem. Um, yeah, go on. I'm happy to share my CV if okay. objects. I don't object. <laughs> so my name is Di, but please call me Debbie. That's what I'm going for um, here at White Ash at the moment. And my yep. role is a research fellow. Okay, so great. Just to set the scene, uh, I'm 
writing a CV for a fellowship application. Mm-hmm. Very interestingly, the application asks for a quote unquote detailed CV. Yep. What's so, the page limit in the application for the CV part? Do you repeat that again? How, lo- how many pages have you got to write so, about yourself? Uh, I've got four pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I will share screen. Yep. Um, so four pages, I would say, is a lot. You should be able to com- fit a lot of stuff in. Okay. So can everyone see that? Yeah, I can see that. Someone's asked, can I explain about the cover letter? What's the connection between resume and cover letter? So if I, I can use, um, we'll just wait for a second, uh, Debbie. Um, so what I, the way I think of the two is like this. The cover letter is kind of like your lit review and your resume is kind of like the references in your lit review, except there's only one, it's your resume. So your cover letter says, dear so-and-so, I'm qualified for this job because I did these things. And you can see the examples of that or the proof of that in my resume. A bit like the way Don was describing before, I was on this committee, here's proof I was on this committee. Uh, increasingly jobs aren't asking for cover letters. Again, it seems to be something that gets keeps getting left uh, in the academic setting. Okay, cool. So qualific- So what I would think first, Debbie, is what is it that the granting body wants to know or the assessor wants to know about you and is or are qualifications the first thing? Um, so just for some context, the fellowship is a not a lot of money. It's to fund a project between two Commonwealth universities. Yeah. So you kind of, um, have a little research idea in your mind mm-hmm. and uh, the actual research proposal is really quite short. Yeah. Which makes me think they are looking for some maybe specific skills or experiences within the CV mm. itself. Yeah. And you um, nominate a collaborator in a, a different university in the Commonwealth. Yeah. But they can ask for that collaborator's CV. So it's just my Just CV. yours. Yeah. 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 Cool. So um, because it's research-based, uh, I felt like qualifications well, slash educations would be important. Yeah. So I, I personally think that your positions and your experience will be more important in this instance. And it's, I'm not saying take it off. I'm just saying move it to the back. Okay. Yep. And there's nothing to say that you, like, I presume they don't specify the layout. No, they don't. It's actually very little information is given. Cool. So (laughs) what you, so you could make this look different altogether. So if you're like, "Mm, I disagree with Richard, I want to keep qualifications up front. Then my recommendation would be let's compromise. And so you've kind of got a two column layout here on the, I'm going to mark this up um, using my texter. Hopefully I can do that. So if this is kind of like one column and this is kind of like another column. Yeah. Right. So then what you might do is put um, qualifications here and then split this into the second column with your experience. So then, then you've still got the idea of my qualifications are up front up up here. And so people can see them Mm -hmm. and then I can talk about my experience straight away as well. Okay. Yeah. 
you um, visually, it would be kind of like two equal columns. No, one third, two thirds, like you've got here. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's what I would. That's how I. And then I would with these positions here. So you've got those there. The way I would present that um, is to. So you, you can't use this space now because we've used it for something else. Is you'd have. Um, I'm just going to clear that again. So it would be like, I'm going to just draw in a white bit here. So you've, that's your two third column. Mm -hmm. Then you're going to split that in half into a one third, one third. Then you'll have duties, achievements, and at the top here, the role. So research fellow school of primary healthcare is the role. And then you put the year next to it there. And then um, duties, responsibilities. And then as an assessor, I can really see what you're doing and how you're doing it. Then, then the next one, the postdoc fellow one, that goes there. And then the bit about it goes like that. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And then it, from my perspective, as a reviewer, I can quickly see what Debbie's doing. Okay. Yeah. Or what you've done. Yeah. Oh, sorry about that. No, that's okay. Do you want to keep scrolling down for me? That's yeah, so you could do the same thing for research experience. And you might put them all into one. So the question is, what's more valuable, the work experience or research experience? And why have you separated them out? So I think this is from earlier um, thinking where basically as a very young researcher or uh, at the time PhD student, yep. I didn't have much to put in my CV. And so what I thought was qualifications and um, kind of employment history type information yeah. would go first and that would be an overview. Yeah. And the section that's labeled research experience would actually go into detail, but actually there's a lot of overlap between research experience and qualification and um, employment history. Yeah. So I'd, I'd squish them all together, give it one title and call it whether research experience or work experience. And then that layout still fits that I was saying before the way that it works together. Um, I, I'd make a point of finishing on time, but I'm going to stay on a bit longer. But for those who need to leave, I just got a, a couple of things. We'll come back to this. I'm going to take over sharing my screen and we'll go back to your uh, resume in a second, Debbie. So don't stress. Um, so in terms of, uh, hopefully you can see that. So more information, there's heaps of information on the internet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. So don't, the internet is your friend when it comes to getting more jobs and your university as well. Nature jobs is not a bad place to look either. Um, if you're, if you haven't already ha seen and you're an academic and you're looking for a job outside academia, post ACK is a really good place to start. Google it. You'll, it's a thing that um, universities sign up for. If you don't have access, the thesis whisperer is the person who has kind of built this. Um, message her and ask her how you can lobby your university to get it. Um, and there are other things that you, if you want help with, you can come and ask me. I've got a journal writing group, a thesis writing group, and a social media writing group all starting at the start of next year. If that's something that you're interested in, I'm going to do a poll in a second. You can let me know about that or you can get in touch with me. I do coaching and group coaching, which again, the next group starts at the start of next year. If you're interested in joining, or we can go through all of these kinds of things in more, more detail. Um, 
And in terms of what else is going on, like I said, this is going to be up on the web. There's some other stuff out there. Uh, LinkedIn and for researchers is coming up next, which might be useful around getting for um, getting jobs or um, pursuing your industry connections. Um, so I'll just run a poll quickly before everyone goes. So just let me know quickly if you're interested in uh, any of those things that I just discussed, then we'll get back to Debbie's resume. Great. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, cool. So let's go. Um, Debbie, do you want to take back over screen sharing? I'll stop mine and we'll go through your, um, we'll continue going through your um, application there. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah. So that was the end of page one, or it does run yep. over to page two. So recent mm -hmm. experience where there's more breakdown and you suggested merging that with the mm -hmm. work experience. Which yeah. Is probably a good idea. Um, so some, yeah, the recording will be up on YouTube. Everyone will get an email before it goes live on YouTube. And the so publications, I encourage people, like obviously you've highlighted where you are the, um, your authorship in this. Um, I would obviously get some consistency there about underlining and bold or just bold. I would also write why this is a good publication if you've got enough room. So maybe like a brief sentence about the impact of the publication. Um, so th this is, so some um, entities say they don't want to see impact factor or H index or anything like that. So I'm actually thinking more, why is this a good publication? What was it about this that was useful? And, and one of the exercises that we've done in the journal writing group, which I think is useful is called the, so what exercise and it's six times. So what, so you tell me the title of my publication is the relationships between radiation dosage and long-term swallowing kinematics and timing in nasopharyngeal carcinoma survivors. So why go, so what? And what do you say back to me? Uh, provides valuable insights for therapy planning in uh, cancer treatments. Why is that of value to someone? Be, what, um, <laughs> I mean, we're trying to keep it brief, right? So yes, but we're, but we're not going to read all of these answers. Your answer to me was brief. And we're, we're going to keep going until we can try to identify what is the value of this publication. Why do you think, like, why is it good? Contributes to the maintenance of quality of life of cancer survivors. Yeah. So I can't, I can't do the answer, but yeah. give you the correct answer, if that makes sense. Only you will know, but the six times, so what exercise on the sixth, so what you're getting very close to where is, 
the answer probably lies and it's good to do it with a friend. And if you have a partner who you are happy to do this with and won't get annoyed with, it might be useful to do it with them as well. Even if they are naive to your research area, in fact, that might actually help because you will start to explain it in a way that makes them understand. And that could be the case for your end reader here. They might not be experts. Um, I think you're a physio. I couldn't remember or a, or a, a speechy speechy. Yeah. Um, I should have guessed that from the topic of the first paper. Yeah. So that's what I would do. Um, and then I can see on um, publication three, you've got a link there. So if you've got a link for the other ones, provide those. Yep. Okay. Um, and again, if we want to talk about um, reducing space, you could actually hyperlink the title. There is no rule that says the hyperlink has to be written out in the way that you've written it out there. Um, so I would not be afraid to do those kinds of things. Okay. Yep. Do you want to keep scrolling? Yep. And then usually I don't have conference presentations, mm -hmm. CV, but because this one requested detailed. Um, yep. You're putting it in. Yeah. So I would number these. So again, it just looks good when you get to the bottom and it says whatever number it is and it makes it easy for them to look at. It. And it, it's about the num number matters, if that makes sense. Like they want detail and that'll help them work out the number. So as per that example CV that you put up. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then again, I would talk about why these were good or what was important. It doesn't have to be everyone, but you might put some, like, let's say what are the best three conference presentations or the three that relate to this particular fellowship application that are the best and then write those at the top and go, here's why these are important to this fellowship or demonstrate that I should be awarded this fellowship. Okay. I mean, visually for those very brief um, explanations of kind of importance and impact, mm -hmm. would you be kind of um, like putting them in brackets at the end of the... Yeah, or in italics. Yeah, make it look a bit different. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, teaching experience? I would group that with, if depending on how relevant it is, I might even consider grouping that up with your work experience. Okay. Yep. And then you could put teaching as one of the duties as, and then talk about what you did as some of the uh, achievements. Okay. And that's the last bit. Yeah. Cool. So if it, depending on whether additional skills are useful or not, and I've gone straight away to multilingual, if that is going to be a useful assessment criteria for this particular fellowship used on that front page. We talked about one third, two third split. You could fit those skills and I wouldn't call them additional. I would just call them skills. And I think someone asked before, you might even put that there if you've got room underneath your education in that same one third column. In that case, would you just the last question and then I'll yep. let, uh, would you suggest having that section of key skills towards the start as well no if you've got key skills yes and if they're relevant to the application yes but you've got additional which means you kind of went oh there was no obvious spot for these to fit so i would move it up to the front and not call it additional i would just call it skills and then you'd put in your key skills in that list as well okay does that make sense so if you didn't if you didn't have that section it means that you didn't think it was necessary and so i wouldn't recommend a change does that make sense yeah, yeah. I think it's, um, for me, it's a matter of, um, like you mentioned earlier, where you have a CV for yourself, for your own reference, and then for each 
different application for different purposes, then you kind of make that adjustment. Correct. Your section does need to correspond to that. Um, yes. But not always something that I, I myself can accurately predict for individual applications. Yes, it is. Yes, it is hard. Yeah. Um, I noticed that you don't have a phone number on here. Is that deliberate? Oh, this is because when I wrote it, I, ha I just moved to Melbourne, so I didn't okay. have don't, yeah, no, no problem. No problem. Yeah. Um, so if, if you think it adds value, don't be afraid to put your social media on there. If it doesn't add value, don't put your social media on there. Okay. Yep. If you've got your own website, you could put that on there again. If it doesn't add value, don't put it on. Okay. So it's all for the, um, kind of general purpose of the particular application you're going for. Yeah. You, you really got to think about how would it add value? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't know, were their pages numbered? Mm, yes. At yeah, the top. Cool. And you've got your name. Awesome. Yeah. Which is probably a requirement for the application anyway, but this is really useful. You know, I've printed out lots of applications before, dropped them on the ground. They're not stapled yet. And it's so annoying. And the ones that you're grateful for are the ones that are numbered and named. So yeah. yeah. Okay. You've got to account for assessor stupidity and I'm happy to call myself a stupid assessor. <laughs> And would you, uh, oh, sorry, I said, I know I said that last one was the last question, but this is the last question. Um, the CV samples that you showed earlier in your presentation mm -hmm. had some bright colors. Is that something that you would also suggest? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I said, it's an advertising. So, and grants generally don't say don't use color. People always say, oh, what happens if they print it out on a black and white printer? Then just make sure that if it was printed out on a black and white printer, that, it, that everything is still legible and works. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you very much for that. You are welcome. Thank you for tolerating my CV. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Does anyone else want to ask a question or share anything about their CV or resume or job hunting experience? No? All right. Well, we'll call this to a close. I'll be in touch with everyone, like I said, via my assistant, James. He'll send out everything relating to this going live um, where you'll be able to get all of the resources again. Once again, thanks very much for your participation. I've enjoyed it heaps. I hope you've got something out of it. If you liked it, share it with a friend. If you loved it, let me know as well. If you didn't like it, let me know and we'll see what I can do next time. Thanks very much. Bye.